Welcome to All Sides with Ann Fisher. Since it was adopted in 1851, the Ohio Constitution has been amended 172 times on everything from the state lottery to tweaking the bail system. Often, inaction by state lawmakers has inspired citizens to seek the changes. Think casino gambling. And sometimes just the threat of a citizen-led amendment can spur action. Remember the 2015 medical marijuana law. Either way, the GOP-controlled legislature wants to make it harder to do so. The idea is not popular. More than 140 groups are opposed. Coming up, we're going to hear from the sponsor of that legislation. Former Columbus Dispatch editor and associate publisher Mike Curtin was elected to two terms in the Ohio House of Representatives and served on the Ohio Constitutional Modernization Commission. He's written several opinion columns opposing the Republican proposal. We'll post some of them at our website at wosu.org slash allsides. Welcome back, Mike. Thank you, Ann. You wrote those columns, appeared in the Columbus Dispatch, Cleveland.com, a lot of different places around the state. Each one was fo- focusing on a different aspect of what the change could mean and uh, and why it's important to know about it, but all spoke to your opposition to the proposal. Um, what's your main op- uh, objection to this? I've spent 46 years studying the Ohio Constitution since I was appointed to the city hall beat back in 1977. Uh for the Columbus Dispatch. Uh, Most of my newspaper career was devoted to the coverage of uh, local and state government, city government, county government, state government. So I spent a lot of time with my Ohio Constitution and with my city charter, the fundamental documents one must understand to to cover governmental beats. And um, so I think I have a uh, pretty decent understanding of the Ohio Constitution for a non-lawyer, for just an old newspaper guy. And um, when Frank LaRose, uh, nine days after being reelected as Secretary of State, spent an entire year running for re-election, not uttering one word about this, and then nine days after the election held a press conference stating that there was this burning platform, this urgent issue we had to address, uh, that we needed to take the passage requirement for a simple majority, which it's been for most of our entire history, to 60%, and we need to do it in lame duck. As you recall, the original plan was to ram it through in lame duck Mm -hmm. and to rush it to the May ballot in an odd number year when almost nobody votes. I was outraged. It's just bad faith. It's no way to treat the citizens and voters of Ohio. Uh, It was a complete rush job, poorly researched. Uh, The proposal full of errors. And uh, I thought, I can't sit on the sidelines. This is too important to sit on the sidelines. What do you know about where this is coming from? Because it's not just in Ohio. This is springing up all over the, all over the country. I don't think it's a coincidence that there have been uh, ballot issues in several states over the past couple of years to uh, require 60% thresholds for um, constitutional amendments just last year alone. We saw them in Arizona, in South Dakota, and in Arkansas. The Arizona Amendment uh, requires a 60% passage rate for tax issues, for tax matters. Uh, That passed 51 to 49. Uh, Other 60% issues in South Dakota and Arkansas got obliterated. Uh, uh, the, The South Dakota issue was beaten two to one, and the Arkansas issue was beaten um, uh, 59 to 41. And um, there is a common theme. Some of your biggest right-wing think tanks and right-wing money interests like the Koch brothers, uh, Americans for Prosperity, which is the Koch brothers' uh, political entity, Mm -hmm. uh, 
financed almost the entire South Dakota campaign. 92% of the expenditures to try to pass that issue came from the Koch brothers. So uh, we are seeing an attack on direct democracy. We're seeing an attack on the long-held constitutional rights of average citizens in the states that allow the constitutional initiative. Ohio is one of 18 states that, that gives their citizens the right of the constitutional initiative. It's a proud history, and it's one that we should all be concerned about holding on to. You're listening to All Sides with Ann Fisher on 89.7 NPR News. We're talking about efforts to change uh, the process of forgetting uh, an initiative on the statewide ballot and also the uh, number of votes by which an issue can pass, I'm sorry, a constitutional amendment on the statewide ballot and also the number of votes required to pass the constitutional amendment from a simple majority to 60% of the vote. What about the process by which the, they get it on the ballot? That's changed dramatically and is often overshadowed by the 60% thing. This whole thing has been a make-it-up-as-you-go proposition. Uh, it's changed three times already since its initial version. When Rep. Stewart uh, introduced it at the end of last session, it would have applied to initiated amendments only, not General Assembly-sponsored amendments. After the predictable blowback, Uh, On that, he quickly uh, sponsored an amendment to make um, the 60% threshold apply to all proposed amendments, whether citizen-initiated or General Assembly-initiated. Well, (laughs) that was obvious to me that uh, they hadn't given any thought because the first casualty of that would be bond issues, state-sponsored bond issues, uh, many of which never get close to 60%. Uh, As you know, the governor and General Assemblies rely on bond issuances uh, many times over the uh, years for highways, for schools, for other public infrastructure, for economic conservation uh, programs, for the Third Frontier mm-hmm. program, technology programs. Many of these things never get close to 60%. And uh, so the rumor at the state, state House now is that Rep. Stewart will be proposing an amendment to exempt bond issues. And if that's true, if he does that, we will already be on the fourth iteration of, uh, of this proposal was just introduced last November. So it's a make-it-up-as-you-go, poorly researched effort, and it's a disservice to Ohio citizens and taxpayers. Constitutional change, especially fundamental constitutional change like this, altering a 111-year-old right should never be a rush job. And this is a rush job, and when Rep. Stewart and Secretary LaRose unveiled it, nine days after the election, they were asked by the State House Press Corps members, uh, is this intended to subvert or undermine some things that are out there brewing, like a Women's Reproductive Rights Amendment, which will be on this November's ballot, like uh, Maureen O'Connor spearheading an effort to finally get redistricting reform, which has been subverted? Uh, the answer was no from both Secretary LaRose and uh, Representative Stewart. Well, shortly thereafter, um, after it was clear that this memo was not going to make it out of lame duck, uh, Rep. Stewart circulated a memo to his fellow House Republican members saying that uh, he intended to reintroduce this uh, come January in the new session of the General Assembly, and it was vitally important to quickly pass it and get it on the ballot for two reasons. And his memo cited two reasons and two reasons only. One, we need to protect life. We need to protect the heartbeat bill, which we enacted in recent years, and we can't allow that to be upended. And two, we need to head off Maureen O'Connor. We need to head off 
uh, her anti-gerrymandering uh, redistricting reform efforts, pure and simple. Those are the only two reasons he cited. This is all short-term political stuff, and it's no way to treat the citizens of Ohio and their constitution. Um, what, can you give us an, a, a sense, of, you know, because you're also a, 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 a scholar of history, why it came to this in the first place? Why, I guess, I guess Theodore Roosevelt addressed Ohio State Constitutional Convention 111 years ago, and, and he was a vigorous champion of the initiative and the referendum process. Why was it considered necessary at that time? Because the late 1800s and the early 1900s was the era of uh, the robber barons, the big monopolists, the tycoons. I mean, Teddy Roosevelt made his political career fighting all that. And many, many states essentially were owned and their legislatures were owned by deep-pocketed uh, big money barons, you know, big uh, monopoly barons or robber barons. Uh, the first state to vote uh, an initiated constitutional right for their citizens was South Dakota in 1898. Why South Dakota? Because the farmers out there were outraged that the grain handling entities, the grain transportation entities were monopolistic entities, uh, gouging them, making it impossible for them to make a profit. And so South Dakota became the, the first and proud sponsor of the initiated constitutional right, and they've had it ever since. And that's why they beat back two to one last year, an effort to, to subvert that. Well, Ohio was among those states in succeeding years that uh, decided to adopt the constitutional initiative in 1912. Why? Because our state house also was owned by the robber barons. We had one of the most corrupt state houses uh, in the in the nation. There was no legal prohibition against corporate cash at that time in politics. So many, many of our state reps, state senators, were literally on the payroll of, uh, of these uh, oil ty- tycoons, transportation tycoons, utility tycoons. And um, the both parties sprang progressive wings. There was a Ohio Republican Progressive League and Ohio Democratic Progressive League that were fed up with the stench of corruption and said, we need to take charge. And so they organized the state constitutional convention, which was held in 1912. And out of that 1912 convention were 42 proposed amendments to our state constitution. Imagine going to the polls and having 42 uh, uh, proposed amendments to vote on. That happened September 3 of 1912, and Ohioans adopted 34 of them, uh, many of those far short of 60 percent, including the initiative and referendum, both of which passed with 57.5 percent of the vote. So history is important, and when you take a look at the long sweep of constitutional history in Ohio, you notice many, many, many vital uh, treasured uh aspects of our governmental life and public life got there with far short of 60%. So when uh, when Frank LaRose and Brian Stewart, in my view, uh, rushed this thing out for short-term political tactical objectives, it's, uh, it's offensive. It ought to be offensive to every Ohio voter. Um, they make the argument that it's to keep outside uh, instigators um, out of uh, the state. They, it's too Right now, they say it's too easy for outsiders to come in, invest their millions in, in what they want to get done. Uh, you say it's actually the opposite. First of all, it's not easy. Of 71 citizen-led initiatives since 1913, um, 19 have been approved for a 
uh, success ratio of 27%. Uh, most of the bad stuff has been strongly defeated. Um, and the problem they cite is no longer a problem because in 2015, Ohio voters approved an anti-monopoly, anti-special interest amendment that I was a co-sponsor of. After the casino gambling. Well, this was meant to head off the marijuana monopoly boys. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the casino uh, amendment was approved in 2009. And uh, and I opposed the casino amendment, but it, it was approved. It was the fifth iteration of the casino amendment. Since 1990, it was going to pass at some point. Kind of spanned my career. (laughs) (laughs) So in 2015, I'm in the legislature. I was there from 2013 through 2016. And here came the marijuana monopoly boys uh, with an amendment that, had it been successful, would have guaranteed that marijuana for commercial purposes could be grown, cultivated, and sold only from 10 parcels that, guess what, the proponents of the amendment happened to own. So they would have basically... uh, put their business plan in the state constitution had they been successful. Well, uh, I, I co-led along with Ryan Smith, state rep from uh, Southern Ohio, um, a anti-monopoly amendment. First of all, I wanted to defeat their amendment, which we did handily. Uh, but we also wanted to use this opportunity to educate the voters on the need for an anti-monopoly, anti-special interest amendment in our constitution against an avalanche of special interest money, largely from the marijuana monopoly boys, we got Ohio voters to approve it by 51.3% of the vote. So ever since November of 2015, we've had one of the nation's strongest anti-monopoly, anti-special interest provisions in our state constitution. And guess what? In the eight years since Ohio voters approved that, not one special interest has come forward trying to surmount that high wall. Why? Because they would be unsuccessful. In order to surmount that high wall that Ohio voters put in their constitution in 2015, a special interest or a coalition of special interests would have to persuade Ohio voters to pull the lever twice. One, the first issue, would say, do you want to set aside the anti-monopoly, anti-special interest amendment that you approved in 2015? Well, good luck with that, okay? And <laughs> they'd have to do that, and then they'd have to pull the lever saying, do you want to buy what these guys are trying to sell you? So Secretary LaRose and Representative Stewart uh, are advancing a straw man. Uh, This so-called problem simply does not exist because Ohio voters solved it in 2015. Come, you're listening to All Sides with Ann Fisher on 89.7 NPR News. We are talking about a Republican-led proposal to make it more difficult to get a citizen-led initiative on the statewide ballot to amend the state constitution uh, and also may raise the bar uh, for passage of such a constitutional amendment from a simple majority to 60 percent. Uh, that is uh, Mike Curtin you've been listening to. He's former Columbus Dispatch editor and associate publisher, and he was served two terms in the Ohio House of Representatives and also served on the Ohio Constitutional Modernization Commission. And obviously, he opposes this effort. Coming up, we're going to hear from Representative Brian Stewart, a Republican from Asheville. He's a sponsor of the proposal. So stay with us. If you have a question or comment, give us a call, 614-292-8513, or email us at allsides at wosu.org. This is All Sides with Ann Fisher on 89.7 NPR News.
This is Chip Brantley, co-host of the NPR podcast, White Lies. Before we found the man in Vancouver, before we sued the State Department, before we snuck into the graveyard of a federal penitentiary, all we had were the photographs. Photographs of a group of Cuban men standing on the roof of a prison in rural Alabama. That's this season on the NPR podcast, White Lies. Welcome back to All Sides. I'm your host, Ann Fisher. Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose last November, nine days after getting reelected, introduced a plan to require a 60% supermajority for all future citizen-led ballot amendments uh, to the state constitution. The main reason he cited, quote, safeguarding Ohio's constitution from special interests, end quote. Ohio isn't the only Republican-led state looking to raise the threshold for amending the constitution. And some see it as a strategic plan to or move to make it harder for controversial issues such as abortion rights to make the ballot. The sponsor of the bill says that isn't so. Still with us, former Columbus Dispatch editor and associate publisher Mike Curtin served two terms in the Ohio House and served on the Ohio Constitutional Modernization Commission. Uh, We'll post some opinion columns he has written opposing the Republican plan. Joining us, Representative Brian Stewart. He's a Republican from Asheville, sponsor of the proposal to make it harder to amend the state constitution. Welcome to the show, Representative Stewart. Uh, thanks, Ann. Great to be here. Um, in introducing the proposal, Secretary of State Frank LaRose, Lo- Lo- with you at his side, used the fra- phrase safeguarding the constitution from special interests. Which ones? So special interests come in a variety of forms. Obviously, we've seen over in past cycles, we've literally written parcel numbers for casinos into the constitution. We have seen uh, you know, efforts to for uh, at drug legalization that were backed by you know numerous other special interest groups. Special interests can be policy based, right? Now we have obviously numerous amendments that are being talked about either for this year or next year or the years ahead. Uh, we're talking now about ranked choice voting. We're talking about eliminating qualified immunity. We're talking about you know I think a fourth or fifth iteration of uh, you know changing the way we do redistricting. You know, and and obviously social issues as well. And the point is, for too long, Ohio's constitution has been too susceptible to this. We, we, you know, people see Ohio's constitution as an easy mark. You raise enough money, you put your issue on the ballot, and you can basically put whatever policy issue you want up for a vote of, you know, 50% uh, plus one vote. And every time we have this cycle, people say, why are we doing this? Why do we have to defend this every election cycle? This has been talked defend, about for a long time. I'm sorry, way. defend what? Defend against what I think a in many occasions are very, very bad policy ideas. Well, all right. So one thing is in 2015, the Constitution was amended to root out um, special interest groups that put their area or their parcel numbers on uh, property involved in issues. And, um, I, I, you know, so that's not possible anymore. I, I, I would disagree. I mean, I think the, the monopoly language is so specific uh, I, I don't think that's going to hold up to very much challenge. It, the only thing the Monopoly Amendment does is say you cannot give yourself an exclusive benefit to yourself. It doesn't mean you can't put on an amendment that says, I want to benefit this industry broadly, and then say, well, anybody can enter this industry. Well, it's, if that's what voters want to do, why shouldn't they be able to do it? Well, I think it's like saying, why should we have any prohibition in the federal constitution from having Google or Neurofolk Southern or ExxonMobil to simply put their money uh, behind a ballot initiative to amend the United States Constitution. I think we, I think most Americans would find that to be an absurd idea, right? Because the Constitution is supposed to be 
more timeless. The Constitution is your governing document. It's not supposed to be subject to the momentary whims of the normal political process. It's something, you know, our Constitution has ballooned to 67,000 words because essentially we are trying to amend it every other election cycle. The federal Constitution requires a two-thirds vote in both chambers of Congress. It then requires a vote of three-fourths of states to adopt amendments. All we're saying is that the Ohio Constitution should be protected in roughly the same manner. Can you give me some evidence of tie, of, of what you're talking about when you talk about these special interests coming in um, and, and, and doing harm, especially since 2015? So, I mean, we literally have parcel numbers for casinos written in the Constitution. That was prior to 2015. We literally have uh, efforts that was, by outside I know, folks. but Representative, that was before 2015. Sure. I mean, okay, well. So I'm saying post-2015. I think there are, frankly, some amendments that have passed that I don't think should have gone the route of a constitutional amendment. Because you didn't agree yeah. with them? No, frankly, okay. I did agree with them. But I think that basic policy debates that we're supposed to have should happen in a legislature. They shouldn't happen at the ballot box every two years. They should not happen through these, you know, the last three initiative petition amendments, $50 million. We should be having these debates in a, we have a representative democracy here. We should be having these debates in the legislature and not simply at the ballot box every two years. A lot of Ohioans think that they don't have a voice in the Ohio General Assembly because of the, the gerrymandering that's gone on. They feel like their voice isn't represented in the General Assembly. And sometimes the threat of an initiative on the ballot gets the General Assembly to do something to wit the medical marijuana law. Well, and I'm a Republican. For the last four years, we've had Democrats in charge of the Federal House of Representatives. We've had Democrats in charge of the United States Senate and the presidency. I didn't go around whining that all of their decisions were illegitimate simply because my particular policy preference wasn't what was advancing. You call that whining when people assembly. feel like the General Assembly is not taking up issues? That I'm saying to them? I am not going to look at a majority body of a legislature controlled by one party that was elected to be there and somehow claim that, well, all everything they're doing is illegitimate. Therefore, I have to have a way to circumvent them in the Constitution. You've said that this legislation or this proposal isn't intended to keep controversial issues such as abortion rights off the ballot, but you did uh, circulate a memo among your Republican colleagues in the House uh, emphasizing that your bill would make it more difficult for abortion rights advocates to amend the state constitution. Well, I'm, I'm glad you bring it up. There's a lot of people that reported on this and kind of clutched pearls over it without actually reading what it said. I didn't say that that's why I brought HCR 6 forward. I said, this is why we're seeing so much pushback. We had a session day where literally we had set, we, we had folks in the gallery shouting, interrupting a tribute we were trying to give to a dead sheriff's deputy, uh, screaming about abortion and screaming about redistricting. That's all of the testimony that was against this HCR 6 in the, in the lame duck, all focused on abortion, all focused on redistricting. What I said in my memo is, this is why there is so much opposition to it. This is what these groups care about. Now, beyond that, I'm in the legislature. My job, if I want to get my idea across, is to appeal to my colleagues in whatever way my colleagues are inclined to to view legislation. If there's a bill I have that I want the vote of a guy who's a farmer, I'm going to tell them that this bill, how it helps farmers. And the same kind of thing with, obviously, it's no secret that you know plenty of people in our caucus uh, are pro-life and plenty of people in our caucus uh, you know, have some issues with the way that the last two years of redistricting has gone. 
You're listening to All Sides with Ann Fisher on 89.7 NPR News. Your measure would also require signatures from all 88 counties instead of the current 44. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that, but that coupled with the raised bar um, of passage, 50, a simple majority to um, uh, 60%, um, is intended, you've said, to keep these special interests out. But in the process, you also keep ordinary Ohioans who may be able to raise coalitions to get something like this done. It makes it Im- practically impossible for everyday people, not to mention um, well-heeled, quote-unquote, special interests. What I think we've seen, Anne, is there's virtually no constitutional amendment petitions these days that are being run by just everyday people. These are all backed by uh, enormous sums of money. It just depends. It's just a question of where that money is coming from. And, and you know, I, he- I heard your last segment talking about how, well, this is this is no longer a problem because you haven't seen, um, you know, another casino or drug effort. We're in the midst of a trial right now. Largest public corruption scandal in Ohio history. And what's come out is that because Ohio's constitution is so easy to to amend and play with, you actually had the former Speaker of the House soliciting corporate contributions from AEP and others to fund what I've called his you know Speaker for Life amendment. Right? They they thought this was a no brainer. This was a the conventional wisdom was this was a slam dunk. We'll just amend the constitution, let Larry House be Speaker for sixteen years. He got indicted. Right, but <laughs> yeah. he didn't. But yeah. it didn't get passed. It didn't get passed because he was indicted. I mean, the conventional wisdom was when you have all when you have the sitting speaker of the house raising money from corporate donors yeah. to put his preferred amendment on the ballot with no opposition, who's going to speak up against it? What about right? the voters? Yeah. Do you think they don't have? Do you think? I, I, I mean, what is your regard for voters? Um, as you know, as it was pointed out earlier, there at uh, night. 19 of the 71 uh, constitutional amendments put forth since 1913 have passed. Voters aren't willy-nilly willing to vote for any old thing. Well, I think the question is, why should we have to go through this exercise and risk it every time? Why Why should we have to play chicken every two years with terrible policy proposals. We don't do that at the federal level. In your opinion, terrible policy proposals. Well, that's why I brought forward. That's why I brought it forward. Right. Yeah. Uh, 614-292-8513 or email us at allsides at org. Uh, let's see, Charles in London, you're on the air. Hi, Charles. Yeah, good morning. Uh, with all things, there has to be balance. I'm deeply conflicted about this issue um, because years ago in California when their Supreme Court uh, legalized gay marriage by referendum, a simple majority referendum, that right was taken away. Um, But where the representative is being particularly disingenuous is on two points. He's not trying to hold his own adjustment to the Constitution to that same 60 uh, percent threshold. And the other thing is that it is very hard for common people to raise initiatives. And so he points, well, it takes big money to do it. It's like saying, well, only people who can jump over three-foot hurdles can run in a hurdle race. You set the, the system has set the hurdles at this, at this level. So, yes, when citizens want to organize to make an initiative, they have to go get pro bono groups or groups to back them. And I just, I, to me, there has to be a balance. So if you're going to adjust the Constitution, I agree there sh- it should be higher than just a simple 50 percent. But if you're going to take away a right or, or if the citizens put out a, a legislative revised code initiative, the 
the Senate and the, the General Assembly shouldn't just be able to blank that away because they disagree with it. So if we found a balance between those two proposals, I think you would get a much uh, steady result in the democracy because the Constitution should not be so flexible. I agree with him on that on that thing. But at the same time, if citizen initiatives make laws, the, the Republicans or the Democrats, if they're in the majority, shouldn't be able to just say, all right, yeah, well, thanks for your opinion. We'll just get rid of that next session. Thank you very much. Have thanks, Charles. Day. You bet. Um, would you like to respond? Sure. Well, to the first point, I mean, the law is the law. I mean, I, I understand that it seems a little odd to folks, but obviously until this amendment would be passed, it's subject to the current threshold of 50 percent. I can't change that even if I wanted to. Um, I think one thing that's important not to lose track of here is I, I've seen some, I, I think, just incorrect report uh, commentary on this that, that acts like, well, if we go to 60 percent, suddenly nothing's going to pass. Nothing could be further from the truth. 14 of the last 21 constitutional amendments adopted were passed with more than 60% of the vote. Good ideas will still pass with a 60% margin. What about a middle ground, like Charles suggested? Would, uh, 55%. You know, it's the legislative process. I mean, if, if we'll, there's, we'll have that conversation. You know, I heard How do you feel about that? I, frankly, I don't. I don't think that's enough. I think sixty percent is a good mark to make sure that we are keeping bad ideas out, but letting good ideas in. Who's the yeah. arbiter of bad ideas versus good ideas? I'm not sure I understand. Well, I mean, I think sixty percent is consistent with the United States Constitution. It's a supermajority. It's two thirds. It takes two thirds in the Ohio legislature to refer a constitutional amendment to the ballot. It's been a pretty typical marker for what supermajority is. Well, Mike Curtin, um, just historical reference, why do so many state constitutions, or in particular Ohio, I guess, um, diverge from the national standard? They don't. Uh, Forty states states require a simple majority vote to amend their constitutions. Um, And Rep. Stewart has incorrectly mentioned some states require supermajorities that don't. He's mentioned Massachusetts, Mississippi, and Nebraska as among those states that require supermajorities. They do not require simple majorities. Those three require either a simple majority vote, um, but the vote for the amendment must equal at least 30 percent, 40 percent, or 35 percent, respectively, Massachusetts, Mississippi, and Nebraska, uh, of the total number of people who, who show up to vote in that election that's a simple hurdle, and it's not kept a simple majority from passing amendments in those three states. I will give uh, Rep. Stewart, uh, Florida, uh, Illinois, uh, New Hampshire, and Arizona for tax issues, but there's only a small handful of states that require a supermajority of any type. And on this question of uh, Rep. Stewart and Secretary LaRose are continually saying we need to protect the Ohio Constitution in a roughly a similar manner as the U.S. Constitution. Yeah. Uh, it's a false comparison. It's false constitutionalism. The founders of our country meant to keep the U.S. Constitution very spare, uh, very short, and they wanted to leave the details up to the states. That's what federalism is. Uh, the U.S. Constitution contains not one word on education, contains not one word on state judiciaries, contains not one word on state tax policy or debt contains not one word on counties, cities, and townships, contains not one word on all these functions the state constitutions must address. Uh, we, we 
don't have a bloated constitution. To the extent that we do, it's in Article 8, which is the article on state debt and public works. That article alone accounts for 40% of the entire state constitution. And if Secretary LaRose and Rep. Stewart were simply to propose an amendment to get rid of all the dead language in Article 8, they would eliminate 11,000 words and 20% of the entire length of the Ohio Constitution. There's a lot of work to do to clean up the Constitution, but uh, raising the threshold to 60% would put Ohio in an extreme minority of states and would disrespect the voters who have not abused their right. They've not abused their right to amend the Constitution. If you're going to talk about what is in the what most states do, let's not lose sight of the fact 32 states out of 50 do not allow for the type of outside initiative petition amendments to the Constitution at all. Outside initiative, you mean outside of the legislature? Correct. Okay. They do not allow for citizen-initiated, special interest-driven constitutional amendments. 32 states don't allow it at all. And is that good? Of, I think that is preferable. Okay. Uh, of the 18 states that do, and I choose my words carefully, Mike, I said some form of supermajority requirement. Those are not supermajorities Super, okay. in any form. Of 18 of the states that allow for outside constitutional amendments, nine have something more than what we have in Ohio today, which is 50% plus one. Some part of the process requires some degree of greater buy-in. If you're going to amend the Constitution, which is permanent until it is undone, uh, you should have broader buy-in than that. Laura in Columbus, you're on the air. Hi, Laura. Hi there. I feel so strongly about this subject, and I would make a plea to voters to listen and to vote and support people who want to give us and preserve our rights rather than take away our rights. I do not want the main strength in ability to change our Constitution to be taken by politicians and special interests. More and more we see a minority of people robbing the rights of the majority And this is not a conservative or liberal issue. Today it might be one, tomorrow it might be the other. Mm. I would like to plead for democracy in the United States. Laura, thank you so much. Why the rush on this? Why so soon after the midterm elections? I'm just curious about the timing of it. Obviously, people think that it's because you want to stop some other initiatives going forward that the Ohio General Assembly won't address itself. Well, I was in my first term. This is the first time I had an opportunity to do anything about it. I've been saying that we should do this for more than a decade. And so you just sprung it on, you brought it up to uh, Secretary LaRose? I mean. Well, I mean, he and I have talked about this for years. Uh, He ran for a whole re-election cycle, through a whole re-election cycle and never said said a word about it. Well, I understand that what he said to me is during his editorial meetings, it did come up. He did say that he supports it. The Democratic candidate, to my understanding, said they were, they agreed that there should be changes to how we, we, amend the Constitution. Okay. This this is a long debated issue. Even when this was first approved over 100 years ago, it was not by a very wide margin. It was the most controversial of the amendments proposed out of that 1912 convention. Uh, you know, your previous guest sat on the Ohio Mo- Constitutional Modernization Committee. They had a subcommittee that, that literally studied this for years, for years, and came up with a recommendation. I know there was many parts of this recommendation, but one part of that was that we would go to at least 55%, at least 55%. It was not at least. It so was 55 flat. The okay. wording in the in their report, Mike, is at least 55%. I mean, oh. that's that's just plain. Go look it up on the Internet. 
um, at least 55%. Uh, And so this is a long debated issue. This is something that has been proposed by legislative leaders in the past. Uh, We can continue to talk and beat around the bush or we can introduce something. I'm somebody that tends to try to introduce something. The proposal needs to go on the ballot. You're aiming for November at this point, or does it have to be in a primary? Uh, it could be in November. It okay. could be in May. It could be in November. I was uh, confused about that, November. reading about yeah. it. it. But it would have to pass the existing threshold of a simple majority, right? Or, Correct. Okay. Um, what are your expectations? I mean, what what do the tea leaves tell you? What is your polling telling you? What do you know about how Ohioans feel about this? Well, I mean, I there have been some individuals and folks that I believe have polled this and have said that 60% uh, can certainly pass, that this does have a lot of support in the public. The The idea of protecting our Constitution is is a popular one. Um, as for when it gets on the ballot, I mean, candidly, uh, the legislature is a, it, it, it's like playing 4D chess on a moving board. Um, you know, I, I understand your previous uh, segment said, well, oh, we're on the third iteration of this. It's called the legislative process. You know, your, your last guest used to be there. Um, we have to address the concerns of the body. We have to try to get a, a fairly, we have a, we have a high vote margin. You got to get 60 votes to pass this out of the house. And so it's not uncommon that you would be soliciting feedback from your colleagues, making adjustments as you need to go to try to get to the votes that you need to get. Representative Stewart, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, Ann. Representative Brian Stewart, he's serving his second term as state rep for Ohio's 12th district, and he is uh, the sponsor of an initiative or of a of legislation that would uh, require a 60 percent supermajority for all future citizen led ballot amendments uh, and other changes to make it more difficult to pass uh, citizen led initiatives on the statewide ballot to amend the Constitution. We'll be right back. This is All Sides with Ann Fisher on 89.7 NPR News. This is Chip Brantley, co-host of the NPR podcast, White Lies. Before we found the man in Vancouver, before we sued the State Department, before we snuck into the graveyard of a federal penitentiary, all we had were the photographs. Photographs of a group of Cuban men standing on the roof of a prison in rural Alabama. That's this season on the NPR podcast, White Lies. Welcome back to All Sides. I'm your host, Ann Fisher. Lawmakers in roughly two dozen states last year filed 109 bills to somehow alter the ballot initiative process. Republican lawmakers in Ohio are not alone in their efforts to make it harder to amend the state constitution. Still with us is former Columbus Dispatch editor and associate publisher Mike Curtin, served two terms in the Ohio House and served on the Ohio Constitutional Modernization Commission. John Dinan is a professor of politics and international affairs at Wake Forest University, where he researches and writes about state constitutions. Uh, He's written several books on the topic, including an annual review of state constitutional amendments for the Book of States, published by the Council of State Governments. Welcome to the show, John Dinan. I'm glad to be here. Uh, What has 
given this all exclusively GOP-led movement the steam it has? So there, there's no one way to structure a state constitutional amendment process. And this has been a matter for the last hundred some years, there's been movement on this. Not surprisingly, whenever one group sees that a certain number of constitutional amendments are being proposed, often through the initiative process, and we should be very clear about this, it's the constitutional initiative process that really gives the concern. Mm -hmm. In the 18 states with the constitutional initiative process, when certain groups are more successful than other groups, there becomes concerns and there's efforts to let's revise the process in response to groups, whether those group efforts are Medicaid expansion, whether marijuana legalization, whether gambling expansion, voting rights measures, or most recently abortion rights measures. Um, to what extent is the process used to more spur legislatures into action one way or another on issues? Yeah, yeah. You know, the citizen initiative process is a fascinating process in, in, in the United States. And of course, not all states have only about half of the states have some form of citizen initiated processes, mostly west of the Mississippi. But of course, Ohio and some other states east of the Mississippi have it. In states that have the citizen initiative process, it has all kinds of fascinating consequences. One is, is it allows groups to advance measures that are otherwise blocked in the legislature. But two, as you suggest, even in the case where an initiative doesn't even get on the ballot or sometimes gets on the ballot and doesn't pass, it can still spur action of legislators who are quite conscious if they don't take action, that action will be forthcoming through the initiative process. I mean, Mike Curtin, you've written that, you know, I think the the um, casino gambling thing went on the ballot four or five times. Um, special interest groups were involved. You said it was a no brainer that eventually something was going to get passed. There were four casino issues on the Ohio ballot between 1990 and 2008. And in 2009, a consortium came together. It was uh, the tail end of the Great Recession. Unemployment was high. They structured it in a way that got a lot of buy-in from institutionalized groups like the Fraternal Order of Police and other the building trades and so forth. They uh, they carved uh, everybody they in. They perfected the process. They of perfected what it would the take. process, and uh, they won 53 to 47. As I said, in a recessionary year, promising jobs, and uh, the legislature could have acted, just like they acted to institute a lottery in 1973 when they put a lottery amendment on the ballot. Ohioans voted in May of 1973 to approve the Ohio lottery. They could have taken a similar position with casino gambling, and there's different legal opinions as to whether that would have required a constitutional amendment or not, but they could have preempted the whole casino thing by legislative action or a legislative sponsored amendment. They didn't do it, and as long as they didn't do it, as states around us and all the states around us were moving toward one form of gambling or another, casinos, racinos, et cetera, it was bound, <laughs> the, the folks were bound to continue trying until they eventually succeeded. And that's what happened in 2009. When it comes to state constitutional amendments now, John Dinan, I say now meaning contemporary last 20 or 30 years, how much, is there any way to kind of do a broad brushstroke on what they tend to manage? Because what I'm thinking about is, Medical, you know, medical marijuana, recreational marijuana, abortion rights, uh, gambling. Um, it sounds like stuff that has to do with people's individual moral compass and having the right to follow their own moral compass issues. 
Certainly those are some of the measures that are more high profile and get more attention. But constitutional amendment is a very regular part of American state governance. And so on any given biennial two-year cycle, you will see amendments dealing with taxes. You'll see amendments dealing with rights, whether uh, advancing victims' rights or advancing, as New York just did two years ago, a right to a clean and healthful environment in its state constitution, and then all kinds of structural matters. How should we elect our judges? How, whether there should be term limits? So it runs the full range in addition to the hot button, high profile issues that we often pay attention to. In Ohio, it's uh, heavily gerrymandered now. Uh, it's going to be like that for a few more years at least until maybe they can get a <laughs> redistricting issue on the ballot to amend the state constitution. But um, a lot of people feel disenfranchised uh, by that. They don't feel like they're being represented, and that's what's frustrating them on these issues. Uh, the majority of Ohioans would support some kind of abortion rights, would support legalizing marijuana, blah, blah, that kind of thing. So what we can say is is that whenever you see a party in control of a legislature that is, there's some disjunction between their views and the views of the citizenry. There will be a turn to the citizen initiative process. And on the part of the legislators in power, there will be an effort to try to restrict the use of the initiative process. That is as old as the initiative process okay. itself. What's interesting is that, go say, 20 years ago, the partisan dynamics were somewhat different. It was groups on the liberal side around the country that were concerned about initiative process because they saw them being used to restrict rights of same-sex marriage. They saw them being instituting English as a, 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 as a required language. And so is, there's no one dynamic that the initiative process will always be supportive of liberal groups or always be sort of conservative groups. But wherever you see one party in control of a state legislature and a possible disjunction between views such as marijuana, abortion rights, there you will see a clash and there you will see efforts. Let's take a look at revising the rules for the initiative process. Um, Mike Curtin, just something that uh, Representative Stewart brought up as far as the popularity of this concept in Constitutional Modernization Commission and um, 111 years ago when uh, they made the big changes. Well, he misstated the, I, in my view, he misstated the, when he said it was a controversial, he, he said the initiative issue was the most controversial of those amendments that come out of the 1912 convention. Well, it wasn't. The initiative and referendum as a package was approved by Ohio voters with 57.5 percent of the vote. That's a landslide in anybody's definition, uh, 57.5. Lots of other amendments passed with less than 57.5 percent of the vote. So it, it wasn't all that controversial, and it underscores the difficulty of getting to 60 percent. 60 percent is a very, very high bar, and we don't have time, and I could list numerous good government things that never got 60. And my famous example is civil service. Uh, one of the amendments approved in 1912 was to guarantee civil service, that there'll be tests for civil service jobs, and there'll be merit-based promotions. Uh, one of the greatest reforms in our history. To and get guess, rid of the... To get rid of office payrolls bloated with family members and shirt-tail cousins and so forth. That amendment was approved by how voters with, and I'm not making this up, 59.999% of the vote, 41 votes shy of 60. That's what gave us civil service in this state. Uh, many, many core critical issues for good government 
pass with much less than 60%. That one obviously was much closer to 60, mm-hmm. but it underscores how high a bar 60% is. How are voters responding to these uh, efforts um, across the country, John Dynan? I mean, in general? So the two leading changes in the 21st century were Colorado, which moved up to a 55% uh, ratification rule in 2016, and of course, Florida, which moved to a 60% threshold in 2006. In, so those succeeded, and as, as already mentioned, Arizona's tax-specific 60% measure just barely passed this last year. For the most part, though, these supermajority thresholds have not proven popular with voters. That is the last few years. Obviously, Ohio is not alone in considering these changes. Voters have not been supportive of them. But clearly, Florida in 2006 and Colorado in 2016, both raising and introducing supermajority thresholds. I will say in Florida, they moved from 50% to 60%. It's still a lot get passed in Florida in that way. In some cases, there's some folks in Florida who who, who wonder whether um, just a lot of measures were getting passed. And they said, is 50% sacrosanct for an approval rating? They said, let's move it up to 60%. Likewise, Colorado moving up to 55%. Recently, though, there has not been much voter support for introducing supermajority ratification rules. We're just about out of time. But one of the points that's made by the folks that want to make it harder to get things on the ballot is and to get it passed is that it keeps state outsiders out of the mix. Are there any outsiders in the mix? I mean, is there any outside groups funding, do you know, John Dynan, uh, these efforts to squelch um, the voter? So I haven't paid as much attention to kind of the, the money that's been supporting of these. There's no doubt that it is Republican legislators and Republican-backed groups that have been in recent years at the forefront of efforts to make it more difficult to use the constitutional initiative process. John Dynan, uh, professor of politics and international affairs at Wake Forest University. He studies and writes about state constitutions. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. And uh, Mike Curtin, uh, former Columbus Dispatch editor, associate publisher, former state rep, two-term state rep, and served on the Ohio Constitutional Modernization Commission. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much. Thank you, Ann. That's it for now, everybody. This will be an ongoing topic of conversation. Uh, We'll be covering it here at 89.7 NPR News. Thanks for your time today. This is All Sides with Ann Fisher on 89.7 NPR News.